Thanks for tuning in to The Halfling and the Spaceman, Journeys in Active Fandom. We're having great conversations with people that have turned their love of fandom into something creative. Fans talking to fans. Joining us today are HP and Jacob Polo, who will be talking about their paths that have led them both to writing careers. We'll also be talking about life as a creative couple. Where to start? I mean, you guys are interesting. <laughs> Just what we've read, you know, in terms of some of your social media and reading about the books that you've written. But Jacob, we're going to start with you, if that's all right. We'll put you on the spot. You're a national best-selling author of sci-fi and other stuff. Tell us about your background a little bit. I'm an intellectual and controls engineer by degree. I've worked in automotive industrial sector for over 20 years at this point. Mm-hmm. Good grief. <laughs> I've been a fan of science fiction and fantasy since I was a little kid. Kind of got my start with Star Trek, Star Wars, Transformers. <laughs> hey, Transformers. Gotta love them. Basically, every time they come out with a new version of first movie, the animated one, I have to get it. Been writing novel length since high school. Very, very bad novel length. <laughs> and sort of incrementally got better from there. Just kept writing. You know, I enjoy taking in stories. I enjoy creating and telling stories. Mm-hmm. And I've improved my craft to the point where eventually... <laughs> David Weber invited me to write a time travel series with him. And one of the things that he didn't know at the time is that I had sworn to myself that I would never, ever write time travel. (laughs) So when David Weber comes to you and says, hey, let's write a time travel series together. My my response was, sure, David, I think that's a wonderful idea. (laughs) Uh, when David Weber says, let's write something, you say, oh, sure. <laughs> and let's see here. Three books in the series, the Gordian Division series are out. Fourth one comes out in June this year. Okay. Very good. Very good. Well, HP, we'll turn it over to you. Put you in the spotlight. Same thing. Tell us a little bit about yourself. All right. Well, I have always been a professional nerd to various degrees. My very, very first job was working at my local library shelving books. And I stayed at the library for several years through college until I decided, hey, you know what? I'd like to try to be a teacher. That lasted one year before (laughs) I decided I did not aspire to that level of saintliness. And I went back to the library to work in teen services for, I want to say, seven years thereafter. So I've worked cumulatively. I've worked in libraries for about a decade-ish. And like Jacob, I am just, I've always liked sci-fi and fantasy and books in general since I was very young. And I remember the moment I realized that when I was a kid, that I could take these stories I'd been reading and then create my own. It was a magical moment. And I remember like the first story I ever wrote, like I wrote when I was I want to say first grade or something. And it was really terrible. And in crayon about a blue belt who was afraid of bears or something. And mom put it on the fridge. And then after that, I didn't really continue writing until I hit, I want to say fourth or fifth grade. And my first genuine memory of writing is actually associated with abject terror because I was always the teacher's pet. Like I came from an education family. My dad was a teacher. My mom worked for the school district. I was known for my good grades. And we had a homework assignment where we had to write our own version of, I want to say, a fairy tale. And, you know, most students, when they get a write a story assignment, it's like, here's the paragraph. And so I go and sit down and start my story. (laughs) And it keeps going. And it keeps going. (laughs) And it keeps going and like, I'm really enjoying writing it, but it's getting close to my bedtime. And in my head, my little teacher's pet self is like, oh my gosh, I'm not going to finish this story. I'm not going to finish my homework. I'm going to get in trouble for not turning it in. And I panicked and then stayed up really late to finish it. And so that was, yeah, my first terrible memory of writing. My future memories of writing were less traumatic. After that, I pretty much 
even to this day, I find that a lot of my writing is inspired by whatever I'm consuming media-wise at the time. Mm. And around the time my brain really kicked into gear in its writing hobby was around the time there was a movie that came out called Quest for Camelot. And I don't, you're laughing, Jacob. (laughs) Okay, this Quest for Camelot is probably one of the most terrible animated movies ever made. But something about it just really, really fired the imagination of fifth grade little me. There's a lot of cool elements in it, even if they're not really executed well. And so I really, really got into medieval fantasy because when I was looking for books to read in one of my English teacher's classrooms, I happened upon the novelization of the movie and just absolutely latched onto it, really got into medieval fantasy. Soon after that, the Toonami block happened on Cartoon Network. And so I really got into anime and and all sorts of things. And then Pokemon and Digimon came out around that time too. And so I got into the monster hunting, monster collecting genre and all of those things combined to make me just want to explore those kinds of universes more. And pivotally, I want to say in the seventh grade, I had a teacher who would assign us stories every week. We would have spelling words and we would have to write a story with the spelling words. Mm. And having to write a story every week really, really showed me how much I absolutely loved writing as a hobby. And I feel like I need to go find this teacher, Miss Diaz, and apologize to her because I would turn in these 10, 20 page, well, epics for a <laughs> seventh grader. And it's, and it's just, it's now that I have been a teacher for a year, I understand how much work that was to read a student, to read the work, the 10 page work of a student every week. But yeah, ultimately, my background is a whole bunch of professional nerd work and being a nerd in general. Okay. Well, you experienced some of those professional ones early on because (laughs) that first story, you're talking about panicking because you weren't going to finish it in time. So there you go. That was self-imposed deadline, but there's that deadline and you've probably been dealing with deadlines ever since we started your career. Especially recently when I'm churning out books on a a book every three months schedule. Wow. That's, that's pretty incredible. Spaceman, did you have a question for them? All right. So we talked a little bit about your background separately. How did you two guys get together? and How long have you been together? Okay. There are two different versions of this story. Oh. oh. Jacob tells the hilarious and romantic one. And I (laughs) surprisingly tell the really boring one. And so we actually met at a dinner put together by some friends of ours. And basically the... Sister of my sister's boyfriend had a friend who would host dinners. And she met Jacob because they worked in the same circle and was like, oh my gosh, Heather needs to meet this guy. He's a nerd. He also <laughs> writes got a little Harry Potter scar. They will hit it off. Uh-huh. And so she, she was like, hey, you need to go to this dinner. There's good food and a dude you need to meet. And I like food and I like dudes. So <laughs> I went... <laughs> And met Jacob, and we did hit it off, and then, yeah, we just went out for more food, and <laughs> then married very quickly, and that's my version. But Jacob tells it a lot better than I do, so you're shaking your head. I see. <laughs> okay, so what what did she? It, Jacob. What what did she not say, Jacob? <laughs> quite quite a bit. Uh-huh. Uh, so um, we go back to December first, two thousand eleven. Uh-huh. Um, friend of mine invites me over. It's like, hey, we're gonna have food. We're gonna have a movie. Come on over. Okay. So I, I, you know, I didn't have anything to do. I come on over, and I haven't been told anything. I find out later that Heather was, you know, prepared ahead of time. Hey, there's gonna be this guy. I no one told me anything. They just told me to show up. So I Facebook stalked you beforehand. Yes. And um, so, so Heather shows up, and my first thought is like, "Wow, what is someone this good-looking doing hanging out with us losers?" Uh, and I also, you know, there's like conversations going on, and I misheard her. The way I misheard her is that I got the impression that she was engaged 
oh. to someone. And of course, I'm thinking to myself, well, that's just typical. Of course, you know, the beautiful young woman is already, you know, taken, fine, whatever. But what I had misheard was that her sister was engaged, uh-huh. not her. Oh. So, you know, we, we get food, we sit down on the couch to watch the movie, and she sits right next to me. I'm like, she's kind of close here. I'm not getting like, a, <laughs> like an engaged feeling here. It's like, all right, well, fine, sure, all right. Sit next to a beautiful woman, even if she is engaged, sure, whatever. <laughs> and, you know, I made some sort of comment while, like, the movie was playing. She's laughing at my jokes. I'm like, I'm really not getting an engaged feel here. <laughs> and I just go on home afterward, and I remember thinking, it's like, I wonder if I misheard. And, you know, my friend, the beef later, he invites me back. Hey, you know, come, come on. We're, we're going to have another dinner and a movie. And Heather was there again. And so I asked her, you know, did I hear correctly that you, you know, you're engaged? Oh, oh, your sister is engaged. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> and so, you know, I'm starting to crank up the charm a little bit, at least trying what passed for charm from me back then. And we're hitting it off. We have watched the, I don't know if we had just dinner or if it was dinner in a movie, but anyway, proceedings finished. And then we, I think she was parked behind me. Kept you in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so we both go out to our car. And so I, uh, you know, while we're out there, I, I ask her out on a date. And she says, maybe. 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 <laughs> and, and, you know, I'm thinking to myself, you know, I've heard maybe enough times. I know what maybe means. Fine. Okay. Charm did not work. All right. And she's talking and she's talking and I'm just barely listening because I just want to go home. Uh-huh. And then she says, yay, we're going to go out on a date. Excuse me. <laughs> you said maybe. <laughs> oh, well, that, that was just a knee-jerk reaction. So, you know, I look at the library and you have like all these creepers show up and some of us wear fake engagement rings. And that, that was just a knee-jerk reaction. <laughs> okay. All right. I wasn't really expecting all that, but okay. Sure. Sure. And so, you know, we set a date for the date. And unfortunately, the day after, my dad had a heart attack. Oh. And the day after that, he passed away. Oh, my goodness. So I went back to Ohio to be with the family. Yeah. And I've let Heather know. And while I was over there, I was getting, you know, kind of messages from her. And it really felt good. You know, it was like this bright spot each day is I would get like a message Mm. on Facebook from Heather. And we rescheduled our date. So I was in Ohio for the funeral and the various proceedings. And so our date was December 19th. Mm-hmm. And we really hit it off. Um, and actually got invited over to see her family for Christmas. Oh, that's serious. And, you know, part of it was that I'm here in the area all alone. Anna just passed away. And her family and was like, hey, let's invite Jacob over, give him some company to be with, which was really great. Just all around. Yeah. And so I had plenty of time off the, and we were like seeing each other like almost every day. And uh, should I go over, uh, Heather, should, should I talk about New Year's? Sure. It's hilarious. Okay. Okay. <laughs> So, so things are proceeding and we go over uh, uh, a friend's house for New Year's Eve and, uh, you know, that about, I don't know, like 15 minutes before ball drops, one of the announcers says, oh yes, and that other New Year's tradition, the New Year's kiss. And so I looked over at her and she looked back at me and we made eye contact and I'm like, aha. I have received permission. Good, good, great. And so 15 minutes later, the ball drops and I move in and she backs away. 
And, and I'm like, oh no, oh no, I have misread the signals. Back it up, back it up. I get some sort of weird peck on the cheek. And then we leave afterward and we get back in the car and I'm like, Heather, I thought I thought I had permission that we've made eye contact. <laughs> and what did she say? I forgot. I panicked. <laughs> well, you forgot and then you panicked. Yes. It's like it was 15 minutes before. <laughs> she may have just been nervous. It might have just been nerves. Chalk it up to nerves. <laughs> yeah, though. Anyway. First dating um, experience I've had. So. And then, so things were progressing. And let's see here. I ended up proposing to her less than two months after we started dating. Oh, wow. Wow. Because we, we knew. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. So how long have you guys and, been married? Two years, as of this past August. All right. Well, congratulations. Thank uh, you. And absurdly, it simultaneously feels longer than that and not nearly as long as that. It's very strange how it affects your perception of time. But yeah, 10 years. Yeah, I, I understand. Of course, you know, the spaceman and I are in it for the long haul. We've been married 35 years. So. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Congratulations. <laughs> you got, guys got a little ways to catch up. No, but that's baby. okay. You'll get there. You'll get you'll get there, <laughs> but we want to take turns for each of you to tell us a little bit about what fandom means to you and what would you consider yourself a fan of, Jacob. You already mentioned the sci-fi and the fantasy. As a matter of fact, I guess both of you have that in common. But other than that, or sci-fi and fantasy together, yeah, mm-hmm. sci-fi mm-hmm. fantasy together. Yep, yep, yeah. absolutely, absolutely. So. Whichever one of you wants to speak up first, what are you into? And what does fandom mean to you? Heather, I've been doing a lot of talking. Okay. I was waiting for your signal. Okay. (laughs) Fandom has always been a really fun part of my life and a place that I found a lot of comfort. And one thing that I really enjoy about fandom in particular is that it is a place where Introverts become extroverted. And contrary to popular belief, I am an incredible introvert. Like I managed to fake extroversion really well, but I'm the kind of person where growing up, I was very shy and very reserved until I met my tribe. And that tribe was a whole bunch of anime nerds and art nerds and comic nerds and everything around the time that I started writing. And we were all kind of, back then, we were kind of the weird kids. Mm -hmm. But we were a very close-knit group of weird kids. And I fit in with the weird kids. And so Mm -hmm. that was my comfortable space. And I've always enjoyed fandom for that reason. I have also, this is more of a recent thing, but I have really come to appreciate the fan fiction aspect of fandom. And one thing that I really, really appreciate about, well, let let me back up and say, One thing I really like about fandom in general is its propensity to be creative and to take things other people have created and then go absolutely wild with them in terms of fan fiction and fan art. Fan fiction gets condescended to a lot because a lot of it is frankly not well written, but then it's not meant to be professional quality work. It's meant to be fun expressions of something you love. And I love how absolutely crazy some of the imaginings get in that just in that branch of fandom i just there's a certain unbridled joy to it that is just really endearing but in terms of the properties that i've always loved i mentioned before a lot of my sense of fandom goes back to that iconic toonami block on cartoon network all the anime associated gundam wing was one of my first huge nerd loves the tenchi muyo series I was not a huge fan of Dragon Ball Z back in the day, but now it's one of my favorite things ever. Um, and so there was there were those. I have always been a huge fan of Pokemon and Digimon. And there was a little, another monster collecting show around that time called Monster Rancher that was huge. And I still collect Pokemon and Digimon stuff to this day. Jacob, I actually got Jacob into Digimon recently because of the newish card game. That started releasing, I want to say, it's it's probably two years ago at this point. It's a really well-designed game. 
And Jacob really, really enjoys really well-designed games. And mm-hmm. so now we collect Digimon cards and spend very adult amounts of money on them. <laughs> but so those have been my um, my big fandoms. There's also, I would say that the anime fandom is definitely the one I have the most involvement in, just in terms of my online conduct and whatnot. But also books, definitely. Terry Pratchett's Discworld series. Love is, it. Love it. Oh my gosh. It is hands Ooh. down. Like if I'm having a bad day, I know I can go pick up some Terry Pratchett and leave both laughing and thinking about some deep thing at the same time. And I just absolutely love that juxtaposition is the wrong word, that combination of things. And... um so there's that. I'm looking on my bookshelf now for more inspiration. There's actually, there's another series that it is, I wouldn't even say it has a cult following because it's very tiny, but there's a series by, oh, have I got to look up? I've, I've actually forgotten the author's name. Paul Stewart and Chris Riddle called The Edge Chronicles. And it came out, I don't even know how many years ago, but it's just this really slightly rough grotesque children's fantasy series where it's all monsters and adventure and very little romance and it's also wonderfully illustrated and that series in particular i went through a period where i creatively i just ran out of energy i actually when when i first started going to college i was in art school and my first semester of art school completely destroyed any love of art that I had. I just did not enjoy pursuing it academically and stopped drawing for a long time. And, and and back at that point, like when I was in high school, I wanted to go into animation. So it was like, it was a big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, and the loss of love in, uh, of the, my loss of love for art also sort of filtered over into my writing. And I was just kind of really down about it for a bit. And then I discovered the Edge Chronicle series and something about that series. It just had, it, it was kind of like Quest for Camelot. It had that perfect combination of things that just made me want to create again. And for that reason, I will forever love that series. But it has a fandom of maybe me and like five people on Facebook. <laughs> so, and you haven't read it, read it. It's wonderful. Yeah. I know I've missed some things, but I'm a fan of so many things. <laughs> it's easy to miss them. You know, it's funny. Every time somebody mentions Terry Pratchett, I just want to go, nay king, nay queen, nay laird, nay master. We will not be fooled again. <laughs> and Krivens. Krivens. <laughs> We're not at all Pratchett fans. No, uh, not a uh, bit. You know. uh, uh, Sam Vimes might break down the door right. for that lie. So. <laughs> but you mentioned finding your tribe and just a little personal quick story. When I was in high school, I was one of those that didn't really seem to fit in anywhere. Um, And I was lucky enough to find another group of people that didn't seem to fit in anywhere. And so they sort of formed their own little tribe, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And ours was around role-playing games, specifically Dungeons & Dragons at the time. But we also did uh, mock. I don't know if you're familiar with the SCA, Society for Creative oh, yeah. Anachronism. Well, the people that I hung out with, we called ourselves entropy, which is supposed to be controlled chaos, but there was no <laughs> control about it. It was just, it was chaos. But we would, have, we would go out into the woods with our fake swords and daggers and stuff and have these, you know, and have these fights in the woods. And everybody wanted me to pair up with them because I was really good at backstabbing. Um, so <laughs> I always got the sneak attack. And so people always wanted me to be their partner. But anyway, so that's, that's my little find your tribe thing. And it's amazing. She didn't become a LARPer. No, I really didn't. I really didn't. I played a couple of LARPs, but I'm not really a LARPer. Anyway, Jacob, what about you? What, what does fandom mean to you, and what are you into? So, going up through, all the way through high school, I didn't really fit in. And then I got to college, and I'm in engineering classes with other engineering students, and I'm surrounded by like-minded people. And we had a lot of common interests, a lot of us, you know, hit it off. I already mentioned Star Trek, Star Wars, though so, <laughs> had something of a 
falling out and then a falling back in with Star Wars. I have never been so angry at a movie as I was at The Last Jedi. Mm. Yeah, there was a period where Jacob was not allowed to talk about The Last Jedi in our house. Like, I banned it because I got tired of hearing about it. Yeah, the halfling wasn't allowed to talk about The Last Jedi either, so. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I've been into various types of gaming. I love games. Mm -hmm. It's computer games, tabletop games, card games, pen and paper, role-playing. I love games. Mm Mm-hmm. And that sometimes ends up in my writing mm-hmm. more often than not, actually. Um, but, uh, I mean, Pratchett, yeah. <laughs> it's not so much of a fandom, but Dune was a huge influence on me as well. The first introduction that I had to David Weber was in Death Ground, in the Starfire series, which is actually based off of a game, which I found out later. And it was my gateway drug to <laughs> David's writing. Anime. I love anime. It's one of the reasons why there are a fair amount of big stoppy robots that kind of, you know, <laughs> edge their way into my writing here and there. Mm-hmm. No matter how impractical they <laughs> <laughs> have my big stoppy robot. Well, you know, as long as it sounds cool. I mean, that's the most important thing. How it sounds, how it looks. If it looks cool, then hey. Uh, uh, well, so that actually brought me to a question, and I had not prepared this question, but it did make me think, how did you actually come about ending up pairing with David Weber? I mean, you said he contacted you. Were you already writing at the time? Okay, so so this is another story. <laughs> And it actually starts in a dark place. So it starts, I believe, I don't have the dates of this one down quite as well as when Heather and I met, but I think sometime in 2014, Mm -hmm. she was diagnosed with stage one melanoma. And now fortunately, we, we caught it early. It was removed. And she had, as part of the excision, of the cancer, she also had a lymph node biopsy. Mm-hmm. So two lymph nodes were removed and they cut through muscle to get to one of them, I believe. Mm-hmm. And so she was essentially recovering from like hernia surgery. And Heather, as may have noticed during <laughs> our brief discussion here, is full of energy. She <laughs> nah. does not deal with being cooped up in the house very well. So she was having a severe case of chaplaincy. Mm. Now, and this is, I don't know, maybe five or so days after the surgery. Mm-hmm. At this point, I was still like, if she needed to get up or from the couch or sit down, I was holding out my arm as a support for her to brace herself. And also as she would go from you know location to location in the house. And... She said, hey, there's a small convention nearby. We should go to it. I'm like, I don't know, Heather. It's like, oh, David Weber's going to be there. You can get your copy of In Death Grounds. Okay, you win. (laughs) (laughs) So we head on over. And she's kind of limping through. And I'm supporting her through it. And there was a table set up. The... uh, the RMN, David's fan club, were there in force. God and bless he those was, guys. Uh, pardon? God bless those guys. Uh, <laughs> and we had a little bit of time before David arrived. So we were like talking to some of them. And then David arrived and he was handing out three copies of On Basilisk Station. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I got in line. I got another copy of a restless station and got the in-depth ground song. And so then we were hanging out with the RMN crowd. Mm-hmm. And one of them, he's, oh, oh, you two, right? Oh, you should talk to Sharon, David's wife. And we're like, no, no, we do not need to be bothering David <laughs> Weber's wife. <laughs> so they like almost grabbed us and dragged us over to a table and sat us down. 
Sharon sat down with us. We had a, a conversation about writing and, you know, kind of far-ranging discussion. And she said, you know, we should have lunch together sometime. You know, you guys pay for lunch. David will talk to her off. I'm like, okay, <laughs> we're fine with this. And so a couple of weeks later, we had lunch together. And that lasted about four hours. Wow. Some lunch. <laughs> yes. Yes. That, we were at that table for about four hours. And, you know, when we showed up at the time, we had self-published two of my books. Mm-hmm. And so we had brought the misgifts. It's like, well, you know, David had some stuff for us. So, okay, this doesn't feel awkward, right? So we exchanged it. And what I didn't know at the time was that David Weber, quiet David, you should be nervous. So, because no, normally he's you know, a very personable person. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll, we'll very much talk your ear off. And so we're talking to Sharon about various things. And David's very quiet. And he's looking through one of my books. Mm-hmm. And then he eventually sneaks up. He starts to like this. He says, you know, that he, t- I forget exactly his wording, but that some people have what it takes to be storytellers and some people don't. And then he paused. He's got my book open in front of him. He's got his finger on a passage. I have no idea what passage is. And like my, my, my blood pressure just skyrockets. It's like, oh, no. And he continues. And I can tell that you do. And I'm like, oh, oh. <laughs> and um, what kind of started from there became a friendship. Mm-hmm. And fast forward a few years. And I had submitted a, a manuscript to Bank Books and it had been rejected. And so I was talking to David about that. I had asked him, hey, would you be willing to read that manuscript and tell me where I need to improve my craft? He's like, oh, yeah, sure, sure, sure. And then he got really quiet again. <laughs> <laughs> and then he started grinning. And he was like, you know what? We, sh- we should write something. And that's when he proposed that we collaborate on what became the Gordian Division series. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's a great. That's a great story. Now, I do have sort of an adjacent question. Do you prefer collaborating, or do you prefer writing on your own? And which would you find more challenging? Well, I would say that collaborations generally are more challenging, but they can. Definitely be more rewarding Mm -hmm. because you have just the interplay of ideas, having an outside perspective, bringing different direction. The Gordian Division books, I would never have written those stories together on my own. Mm -hmm. Um, And there are a lot of parts of them that David would not have written on his own. It took the two of us together to craft these stories. And that's while, yes, there's the logistics of writing it and of kind of corralling the various ideas. Yeah, there's a lot of work involved in that. But a lot of times there's some pretty awesome payoff too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think that for me, you know, writing solo is easier because it's just me and my outline. But yeah, collaborating can be a very, and, and has been for, you know, with, with me, David, and me and Heather, very rewarding experience. Okay. And you're not the first person that has said that. What we have heard from others is that collaborating is both more difficult, but at the same time, it is more, as you said, rewarding. I think that the challenge, and maybe you come across that, but one of the challenges that people who collaborate seem to face is trying to write in the same voice. Building off of that, I wanted to go to HP because I noticed that 
the third of the Monster Punk Horizon books are a collaboration between HP and Jacob. And HP is the sole author on the first two books. So HP, what are your insights on writing collaboratively with Jacob? Well, it's, to be honest, it varies from project to project. We've actually, we've written one other book together too. And my quote unquote first book, The Wizard's Way, was a collaboration between us in that I took care of basically all the world building and characters and whatnot. And I had not yet been published. I was still learning my craft. And the initial draft was a hot mess. Well, fortunately, I married an engineer who was good at planning things. And he went through and is like, okay, here's how we can streamline this and make it readable. And so he basically, he went through and we sort of replotted it together. And I ended up sort of turning it to the informal outline that he did. So it was, it was very weird. Um, form of collaboration. Now, Monster Punk 3 has a wholly different story. And in terms of writing with him, it presents its own unique challenges because the two of us have such completely different writing styles and writing techniques. Jacob says that he often says that he doesn't write stories so much as design them. And it's a very good way of describing his process because he basically, he writes his outline. He solves all the story problems in the outlining phase. And then, I wish. <laughs> well, most, you know what I mean, it solves most of his story problems. And then once the outline is refined, he just goes through and puts that outline in prose form. And it's very, there's a very strict process to it. Whereas back when I was working on the Monster Punk Horizon series and the Wizard series, I was very much a right by the seat of your pants kind of person. I like to explore. I like to sort of find the story as I go along. And our early collaborations were a little chaotic because of that. I've since refined my writing style in what is another very long story. But ultimately, the thing that I like about collaboration is that it requires me to think about my own writing in a different way and in some ways helps me detect and analyze weaknesses in my own process. And that's been something that's very educating about writing collaborations with Jacob because you have to be able to work well with the person you're collaborating with or the project just becomes a disaster. You have to be able to make compromises on things and if you can't compromise and can't come to an agreement on most of the project, then it's just not going to work. And I do really enjoy trying to figure out the process of making those compromises. Now, Monster Punk 3 actually has a really hilarious origin in that I was writing Monster Punk 1. And it was my first novel in a while for complicated reasons. But I was working on that and Jacob started reading it and was like, you know what? I really like this world and I'm between projects right now. Can I write a book in this series? And I was like, sure, go for it. That's more to put out. And so he actually finished his draft of book three before I was done with book one. Oh, wow. And basically how we approached that one is I had the basic world set up. The Monster Punk Horizon series is very simple in structure like every book comes down to oh my gosh there's a monster we gotta go fight the monster <laughs> and then you know they gaming style they go and get their armor and get their upgrades and then do what it takes to go fight the monster and so it's a very easy world for him to write in while i was writing other stuff so basically he picked his monster and then asked me can this thing logically happen in the world can this thing logically happen in the world and the monster punk horizon world is a chaotic world so most anything can happen and Jacob, yeah. So one of the things that happened as she, okay, so Heather wrote book one, she wrote book two, and then she started editing three and adding her own material, which had always been the intention. And uh, she mentioned to me, hey, there's this one character, his voice, you know, isn't quite the same as it is in book two. Mm -hmm. I'm like, Heather, there wasn't a book too when I wrote this. Just, just, <laughs> just modify his dialogue however you want. I'm fine with it. Just modify it. Just, just wake it however you want. That was a fun one. 
And then there are other projects that we've worked on together too, where we followed an entirely different process. And uh, since this is a fairly GPG rated podcast, I will not talk in detail about this because my other pen name is, is rather, rather spicy. But with that particular series, even though it's under my one pen name, Edie Sky, both of us, it is in many ways a collaboration. And basically, Jacob wrote the outlines for that series. We collaboratively came up with the world and what kind of story we wanted to tell. But he wrote the basic outlines. They were very skeletal outlines. And then I went through and took his outlines and wrote the books. And we found that it's our happy medium for collaborations where it's like we do the basic planning, we get the logic of the world done, and Jacob takes care of most of the plotting. And then since world building and character writing, just churning out words is my strength, I just go and churn out words. And it works really well. And I've been able to write a book every three months because of it. So that's a fun way to collaborate too. And it is my preferred way at this point. But I also had a lot of fun designing the magic system and the giant stompy robots for your new series. Yes, it's been a fun one. I can say for a fact that both the halfling and I are big fans of giant stompy robots. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. We're amongst our people. Love the love, love them. Yes, especially ones that turn into like airplanes. But that's a side issue and need not detain us. So, well, that's really cool. We've only had one other couple on at this point, the Youngs, and they are a collaborative. Well, they, oh, they're yes, not really collab. Yeah, they're, they're, they're not really both writers. She writes a little bit, but he's primarily the writer of the family and she's the artist. And it was interesting to hear them talk about their relationship and just hearing them, you could sort of get an idea of what their relationship was like. You can be a fly on the wall in their house. <laughs> Just have a lot of fun. So, I, I mean, do you guys ever get on each other's nerves when you're trying to work? Is there ever a point when you... I get on the halfling's nerves all the time. Not all the time. All the time. Well, oh, you yeah, may... I get on Jacob's nerves all the time. <laughs> in terms of working, though, the two of us know that... We both have our own specific processes when it comes to writing. And when we're both doing writing work, we generally try to stay out of each other's way. And I actually have found that, like, if he's at home doing stuff, I just go out to a local coffee shop and write. And it helps me focus, but also keeps him out of my hair. <laughs> if he is at home doing writing stuff, I generally try to stay out of the way. And I know what it's like to have focus interrupted and mm -hmm. have to struggle to get that focus back and this could be a longer story so cut me short if i have time but one of the most important parts of our relationship both as a couple and as writers has to do with the fact that i have ocd and the reason why this is so important is because okay so i wrote the wizard's way and released it in 2016 yeah i think that's right you know, way way back and immediately after i released it i started working on the sequel and I, at that time, um, job stuff allowed so that I could start writing full time. And so I did. And so I was writing and writing and writing. And I just, despite having a lot of time at my disposal, I could not get this story to come together because I had enormous issues focusing and organizing to what we realized was an unreasonable extent. Mm -hmm. And so I eventually started going to therapy to see if I could figure out like what was up with my brain because we knew it wasn't a typical thing. And I randomly mentioned that I checked things compulsively. And that was the key for the therapist we were talking to. And I had never considered, and she suggested OCD as a result of that. And I had never considered OCD because the stereotype of OCD is that you're really, really organized. You're really, really detail-oriented. And I am none of those things. <laughs> it's like my office is not the office of someone who has stereotypical OCD. And it turns out that there are like five different versions of OCD. And I had combination of versions, but one of the troubles for me was the general idea of obsession itself. And the way it manifested in my writing is that I would get obsessed with certain ideas and would not be able to think about anything else until I wrote them to completion, whether they actually contributed to the story or not. 
And so there was that. There were also on a practical level, I also had a lot of health related obsessions just due to my cancer and due to various family health disasters and things like that. Mm. And once I realized that about my writing in particular, a light bulb went off because I could see vestiges of OCD in everything I had written in the manuscript I'd just worked on, whether it was directionless tangents or general disorganization or whatnot. And so I started going to therapy to figure out coping techniques to handle my OCD. And in the process, as I was learning about how to handle it, was like, you know what? Knowing what I know about myself now, I want to reconstruct my entire writing process from the ground up, keeping my OCD-related weaknesses in mind. And one of my weaknesses at that point was that I would go crazy with world building, whether it's positively affected the story or not. So basically what I decided to do was limit myself to really linear storylines. And basically, if I ever made a decision while writing, it would have to be something that contributes directly to the plot. And if I decided to go on something like a tangent, it could only be a tangent that lasted two or three or so paragraphs and still had to contribute. And that ended up becoming actually two separate projects. The first branch of that project became the Monster Punk Horizon series with its very linear storylines and very simple characters. And then Jacob, when I was in therapy, suggested, you know, well, why don't I just write some outlines and you do the writing for it, which is what became the Titan Mage series on the E Sky pen name. And both of those series were in terms of my learning how to function with my OCD tremendous successes. I went from not having released any books in years to releasing three books in one year. And then I'm about to release, actually, let me see. It was, was it three books in one year? Yes. I, yeah, I, I released the first three Monster Punk Horizon books in one year. And then the following year, I released three Titan Mage books in quick succession. And then I'm currently working on the fourth and the fifth will come out. And the ultimate result of learning how OCD affects my writing is that I know exactly how many words I can write in a given amount of time. And I can now schedule my writing so that I can produce predictably on a schedule. And that has been amazing for my productivity. But yeah, and Titan Mage especially was a revelation because I basically, whenever Jacob gave me the outlines, it was like, mid COVID lockdown. So everything was mm -hmm. crazy. And I had a bunch of time at home because, you know, I couldn't leave anywhere. And so I was like, what the heck? I'll try this experiment. And Jacob had written the first few chapters of that book just to establish the vibe. But I took it and went from not having finished a novel in years to finishing the first Titan Mage book in, I want to say, three weeks. And that was just astonishing to me. And so I bring up OCD in relation to my writing quite a bit because being able to put a name to that monster had such tremendous effects on my ability to function, not just personally in daily life, but also to be able to function as a writer. But yeah, so long story short, I don't actually know why I started telling that story at this point. I can't remember what the original point was. Anyway, I mean, no, that's fine because that's one of the things that we want to talk about is the challenges that writers or other creators face in their journeys, it's not just simply butt in seat. There's a lot more to it than that. Um, right. It is journeys in active fandom is what we're looking at. Right. Mm -hmm. So this is the story of your journey. Yeah. 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 Oh, and actually, I remember what my original point was about focus. I find when I write that it takes me a good 30 minutes to really get into the groove of what I'm writing. And if I'm interrupted for more than like a single conversation exchange, it completely derails me and I need another 30 minutes to get into my writing. And so if you get interrupted enough, it can completely mess up your writing day. And Jacob knows that about me. And I, I don't think yours is quite a 30 minute blog, but I know that it takes you time, Jacob, to get refocused whenever you get interrupted too. And it's such a predictable part of both of our writing processes that we just know not to interrupt each other when it's a writing day. And that's actually been a really great part of our relationship in general, just being married to another writer, because very often 
non-writers just do not get the fact that when you're a writer, you need to write and you need. And it's the kind of thing where you have an idea in your head and you have to get it out. And to someone who is not creative in that way, they're just like, why are you so obsessed with this? And so being married to someone who knows, who understands that occasionally I've just got to go in my room and write for three days without human contact. Mm-hmm. Um, it really helps to have someone who understands that. Mm-hmm. Jacob, what about you? Are there any specific challenges for you in your writing? And what advice would you or HP offer to people that are starting a writing career, want to get started? What challenges would they face? Well, I uh- as Heather mentioned, sometimes I don't even consider myself a writer. I kind of view it as I design the book and then I construct it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's pretty different from a lot of how other authors approach giving project. Mm-hmm. So I wouldn't say that I'm like at the far extreme of the organizational from planning to pantsing, but I'm kind of there on close to one of the edges, I think. Mm-hmm. And I find that particular method works for me. It's not how I have to write. Uh, I have pants stories before, but I'm more comfortable planning things out, knowing where everything is going to go within a given story and trying to do my best to iron out as many of the problems as I can before I write the first sentence. That method's not going to work for everyone. And some people need to kind of join the characters on their journey, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, I am not one of those people. <laughs> it's like, you are going to go here, and then you are going to do this, and you're going to like it. <laughs> And see, I'm the complete opposite. When I write, my characters kind of inhabit my head like they're separately existing people. Like, it's weird. If I were not a writer and described these characters, people would think I'm insane. (laughs) But it's like, I'm very much one of the writers where the characters write themselves. Jacob's characters do not write themselves. Jacob's characters do what Jacob tells them to. Heather Heather will will sometimes ask me, it's like, what, what does... What does this character sound like in your head? I'm like, the character sounds like me. What do you mean? (laughs) (laughs) I guess what I'm hearing, bottom line, is that each writer has to really try to find what works best for them. And it may take some attempts trying some various styles. I think that might be something that new writers might be a little hesitant about trying to find different, you know, sometimes when you're new at something and you do it the first time, you think, okay, this is the way it has to be done. This is the way I have to do it. And they don't think or they're afraid to go outside that box and see if there's something that might work a little better for them. Right. To find their own voice. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I will say one thing about people aspiring to write is that you have to write. And you have to, to a certain degree, approach it fearlessly because you're not going to start out great, generally speaking. Mm-hmm. Most people write really bad stuff before they get better. Mm-hmm. Uh, occasionally, Heather and I will be at a convention and someone will come up to us and say, oh, yeah, I'm writing a book, too. And I'll respond, oh, well, how, you know, how's it going? It's like, oh, I've, you know, I've written, uh, like. 2,000 words in the past five years. Like, <laughs> you're not really writing a book, are you? You're thinking about it. <laughs> you're toying with the idea of writing. You really haven't committed to writing a book. Mm-hmm. And I don't say that to the person that can get it in my head. And there is certainly a difference between talking about writing a book and making the commitment to taking whatever story is in your head and putting it into prose. And it's a lot of work. And writing is a craft. And if you don't practice, you know, if you haven't practiced it, I know, like I said before, I've been practicing this craft for, 
Actually, the first really bad story I wrote was in the second grade. But I started writing novel length in high school. Mm-hmm. It was bad. <laughs> but I just kept writing. Mm-hmm. And for the most part, each novel length story, I hesitate to call it the books, was better than the one that preceded it. Because I was kind of learning something as I went. And I was also, you know, reading more. I was experiencing good literature, experiencing good stories, learning from those. And eventually I got to the point where, you know, like we discussed earlier, David Weber invited me to collaborate with him. Yeah. Well, H.P., I had a question that I was thinking of asking you, and now it has completely gone. (laughs) Spaceman, what do you got? (laughs) Well, I've checked the azimuth of the telescope, and uh, no. All right. One of the things that we ask all our guests who are creators is if there was one thing that you know now that you wish you would have known starting out, what is it? This is either of you or both of you. What challenge or piece of advice or one thing that you could tell your younger self? I could do a whole panel on this. Oh, my gosh. So this is for people who want to indie publish specifically. And I guess to a certain extent, it can apply to people who want to traditionally publish as well. One of my greatest regrets from when we first started publishing was that we did not release series at first. Our first several stories were standalones. Mm -hmm. And... At the time, we did not understand the differences between the traditional reading crowd and the indie reading crowd. The traditional reading crowd is accustomed to getting a book a year-ish from its authors, and they're generally very patient. The indie reading crowd has been spoiled by authors who can write really fast. And if you basically have to release a series and release it fast to get any traction with indie. Hmm. And with indie readers, and which is one of the reasons why I'm releasing a book every three months now, because my sales begin to drop off at that three months at that three month mark, and until I release a new book, and then they the it, like synergy happens and all the sales go back up. But I- indie readers are voracious series readers to the point where some will not pick up a book unless it's in a completed series. And as a result, it took us a while to get off the ground with our indie publishing because of that. To this day, of the early stuff we published, the thing we sell the most of is the one complete giant robot trilogy, the Seraphim Revival series. It's not even the strongest thing either of us wrote, but because it's complete, it's the thing that sells. And chronologically, uh, it's the first thing that I wrote that we released. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that was something that I had no context for knowing that when we first started publishing. Like when we self-published, our process was literally Jacob had submitted The Dragons of Jupiter, his first, well, not his first novel, but the first novel that we published. He'd been submitting it around and had a whole folder of rejection letters. And I was like, you know what? Self-publishing is a thing. And I've got layout talents and art talents and editing talents. Let's put them to use and self-publish. And so we didn't do it by the seat of our pants, but we just kind of jumped in to see what would happen. Mm-hmm. And it ended very well for us, but it took us much longer to get to the point where we currently are than it would have if I had known certain things going in about the different markets and about series. So that's my main advice. Write series and write them fast if you want to do indie publishing. Huh. That's, that's, Jacob, that's you got anything? I mean, to a certain degree, ditto, but I think also do market research. I wish we had, instead of just writing the stories that came to us to kind of, you know, study what was doing well and it's like, okay, well, what do we have that we can benefit from that fandom that would appeal to that same group of people? And... Instead of just sort of throwing out and seeing what's stuck to the wall, this was our first few years mm-hmm. before we started going about it a little more, a little more structured manner. Mm-hmm. So when we first started, we only sort of treated it like a business. Yeah, that, and then there, that too. Point, there, there came a point where we were like, you, you know what, this 
if we treat it right, this could be something that actually becomes careers for us. And so a year or so in, we started taking it a little bit more seriously in how we approach the sales aspect of it. Because there is, to any art, to any successful art, there is a huge aspect of business. And most of the artists who are starving artists are starving because they haven't acknowledged that art is a business. And that's the thing. Like, if you want to be a writer, whether traditionally published or indie published, you've got to respect that what you're doing is a business endeavor. And yeah, you have to treat it as such. That's all I got to say on that. Well, you're not the first person to mention the business side of it and what a challenge that can be. And a lot of people just say, you know what, I'm handing this over to a publisher and Mm -hmm. let them deal with all of that. I just want to write. I agree with you. Yes, there is a desire for a lot of creative types to go into their corner and create. But if you're looking for something to be your livelihood, then yes, you have to be cognizant of the business aspect of it. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. One thing that people who want to be professional creatives today have to keep in mind is that we live in a golden age of entertainment options. It is incredibly easy for people to make to write their own books, to make their own animations, to create their own art, and very easily put it up for consumption and make it easy for people to access. The result of that is that there is a ton of content that people can consume and people are never going to like in, at least in this era, you will never be able to just plop something up on the internet and it take off without any marketing effort from you. It's simultaneously one of the best and worst things about this era of publishing. Like you have to do some kind of marketing to get noticed. And occasionally you do have those little ones that take off inexplicably, but I guarantee you that a lot of the overnight successes are not overnight successes. Like, for example, with my 80 Sky pen name, Titan Mage has far and away been my greatest success. And a lot of people who find that series are like, this person just came out of nowhere and they're amazing and they're overnight rich and all this stuff. And I'm like, nah, I've been doing this for 10 years. This is just the first time you noticed me. And so it's very much the opposite of overnight. (laughs) Uh, Well, you guys have given us some good advice. I'm sure that our listeners will appreciate it. So as we're about to wrap up here, what exciting projects do y'all have coming out? Have at it, Jacob. (laughs) All right. I had to ask permission before revealing this. Oh, okay. (laughs) Yeah. So I had to send the text to David Weber about this and got in touch with Tony Weisskopf, who's, if anyone doesn't know, the publisher at Bain Books. Mm -hmm. And she said that, yes, I can talk about this project. Okay. I have to specify it is in the early planning stages, but David and I, along with Tom Poe, will be writing a trilogy of Honorverse novels together. Oh, wow. Wow. That is exciting. And for people familiar with the Honorverse series, we will be, in terms of the timeline, we'll be following the David and Timothy Zahn books, the Manticore Ascendant series. There's going to be six books in that series. So our trilogy will be following that, and we will be basically showing the life and times of the great Manticoran hero, Edward Sakana. And it's both exciting and thrilling <laughs> and terrifying at the same time. You're a little nervous? Uh, to... <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> but yeah, I'm thrilled. But yeah, that's the big news. Awesome, awesome. And what about you, Miss HP? Mine's not nearly as exciting as that. <laughs> But my current projects, I am finishing up the last two books of the Titan Mage series. And then my next project will be to finish up the Monster Punk Horizon series. So that's what I've got coming up. And I just have to say, for anybody who loves fantasy and some silliness, you got got to check them out. (laughs) You got to check them out. Monster Punk Horizon is just fun. It, It is. It is. So that's great. That's great. Well, um, we don't have any exciting projects going on. 
know. <laughs> We're going to some conventions, but um, you know. No, this is an exciting project. Well, yeah, this has been fun. It's been yeah, a whole lot of fun. Yeah, okay. All right. <laughs> so where can our listeners find out about your various books, series, and find out more about you? If somebody wants to find out a little bit more about you, where can we find you and your stuff? Well, our big hub on the internet is hollowwriting.com. So you can find information about all of our books and stuff there. But we're also available on Amazon. All of Jacob's stuff with David is found. Good books are sold. But hollowwriting.com and Amazon are the easiest to access ones. So, yeah. Okay. All right. But we're going to make sure to put that in the show notes. And we want to thank our listeners for tuning in today. And we hope that you have enjoyed and perhaps been a little inspired by our guests, HP and Jacob Polo. So we want to give you guys a huge thanks for joining us today. We've had a great time talking to you. Yeah, and we really enjoyed talking with you. Thank you both for joining. And this is The Spaceman, over and out. This is The Halfling. And The Spaceman. Reminding you to be kind. Have fun. Have empathy. And find your fandom. Because you're never alone once you find your fan community. This is The Spaceman. If you enjoy our content and want to hear more from fans about their journeys in active fandom, please don't forget to subscribe. Consider supporting us at patreon.com forward slash halfling and spaceman. If you or someone you know is active in speculative fiction or adjacent fandoms, or an associated creator or maker who would like to share your journey with others, contact us at info at halflingandspaceman.com. Please refer to our show notes for links to the various publications, organizations, and conventions mentioned in our show. All sound effects used in this recording are under license, and opinions expressed by guests of the Halfling and Spaceman are their own and may not reflect opinions, attitudes, or positions of the host of this podcast.